Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week, we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 154, Jashong B. Yeah, I'm actually really excited. This feels to me like when we were first doing Spirits, the kind of, you know, badass individual goddess who we haven't talked about in a while. It's like a full story. Most of the episode is just storytelling. And I just, it's been a minute since we've, we've done something like this. And I'm, I'm very, very happy with how it turned out. Me too. It was so much fun to learn about. I can't wait to re-listen to the episode as it, as it comes out with our listeners. But moreover, Julia, we have to welcome some new patrons to the family. Yes. Uh, welcome to our newest patrons, Paul, Lucy, and Jenny. You join the ranks of our supporting producer-level patrons, Philip, Hannah, Alpha Dogs, Deborah, Molly, Megan, Skyla, Samantha, Sammy, Josie, Neil, Jessica, and Phil Fresh, and our legend-level patrons, Morgan, Emily, James, Bia Me Up, Scotty, Audra, Chris, Mark, Ayla, Cody, Mr. Folk, Sarah, and Jack Marie. I would watch a rom-com anime with any of these people, and that'll mm. be uh, pressing later in the episode. Hell Yeah. Speaking of uh, pressing, Julia, I have been thinking about this drink you made us for several weeks now. Would you please let the good people know about it? Yeah, uh, I'll tell you more about it in the actual episode, but we made buckwheat whiskey sours. Um, but if you're looking for a good buckwheat whiskey, which I know is not the traditional whiskey style, uh, but I recommend getting the one from Catskill Distilling Company. If you live in the United States, that's probably the best bottle you can get out here. That reminds me of uh, this month's Shaker and Spoon Box, which we sent ahead to our Legend Level patrons. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about Canadian rye, which I've never had before. And it was a very cool taste. Like as a rye whiskey person, I had not had that variety before. And it was absolutely dope. I like uh, mixing things up, you know, like regular whiskeys, regular ryes. They're interesting, but, you know, I want something new and exciting every once in a while. Totally. Uh, Speaking of which, Julia, I have a book recommendation this week that I think you would absolutely eat up. Ooh, tell me about it. This is Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. It is a book basically about a young woman who makes a pact with the god of death. Um, And there is nothing more (laughs) that Julia loves than something like that. Uh, It it definitely has some like traditional fairy tale vibes, but with a, um, you know, a a folklore history and cosmology that is new to me. It is beautifully written. The perspective is absolutely gorgeous. The book art is beautiful. It's the kind of book that I would like display on a shelf, like facing outward because I love it so much. So that's Gods of Jade and Shadow, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. That sounds incredible. I really, really like that. Oh, and I also wanted to let you know that, remember Elena Varg from our episode on Kalevala, which is everybody is, it's a, like up there with the crowd favorites. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, they had told us during the episode that they were starting a uh, podcast in, in English uh, in the future, and it's now live. So we wanted to tell you that Witch and Bitch is now live, and you can listen to it if you liked Elena's perspective and all of the things they had to share about Finnish folklore. Yeah, I mean, just from the name alone, you know it's going to be right up our listeners' alley. Totally. That's Witch and Bitch, and we are putting it in the episode description as well, so you can just click through. 
And finally, we wanted to remind you as it gets very cold and snowy here in New York that our new merch is available for order. We made a beanie uh, winter hat for spirits with the logo on the front, but there are also, there's violently purple shirts from Potterless. There is a new horse shirt that just says Sutton Nerds is Basketball, which is such a wonderful conversation starter. It's also a varsity shirt, which I love. It's like it's like a very buy shirt because instead of rolling up your sleeves, you can have those little stripes on your sleeves. It's great. And wonderful pins for Join the Party. I can't wait to, to buy like four sets and put them on every coat I own. So I never have to be without my like rainbow Inara skater teen and my Chad uh, and Tracy holding a bombolade and oh my gosh it's so good I love it they're absolutely adorable I just uh, all of the swag that we've added recently is just incredibly cool and I, I love that people have the opportunity to wear them in the real world now yeah, no, me too. And we're also selling remainders from our tour posters from this year. So there's a limited amount. We're not going to print anymore. We're just selling them for cheap um, so that everybody who couldn't make it to the show has a chance to bring a little piece of the show home with them. So all of that and more at multitude.productions slash merch. Yeah. If you uh, haven't seen our Portland poster, it's one of my favorite things that Multitude has made. Yeah, we framed it in the office because it's so beautiful. It's very, very cool. Uh, Wonderful. Well, I don't want to keep you any further, listeners, from this wonderful episode. So now enjoy Spirits Podcast, episode 154, Jashang B. So, Amanda, today's episode was actually suggested by a listener. We usually don't do listener suggestions, but I really, really liked this one. So this comes from Ashley, uh, who is extremely cool. She is Korean-Canadian. She's a TV and games writer. What? And she sent this really, really like robust description of this story that I'm going to be telling you. Um, And most of the research for this episode is kind of a combination between what she sent me and then the stuff that I pulled out myself from just researching and stuff. We're going to be telling the story of Joshangbi who is a Korean agriculture goddess with a pretty familiar but not too familiar story. I love it. I'm so excited. Uh, But first, let's talk about what we're drinking this episode. So um, originally, I was going to make a soju martini because soju, as you know, Amanda, is a Korean liquor that's kind of similar to sake and then it's distilled from rice, but it's a lot more pungent. So it's pretty much like similar to a vodka in terms of alcohol content. Very good in cocktails. Yes. uh, A lot of the bars in New York City actually use soju in cocktails if they don't have a full liquor license because it falls under the beer and wine category for whatever reason. It's wonderful. I always do the calculation in my head, like, how many of these do I need to get to where I want to be? And is that cheaper than just buying a lot of beer? Yes. And you're like, "Mm, yes. At minimum, it requires fewer bathroom trips, which is generally what I go for. That is always a good plus. True. However, Amanda, I stumbled across instead something at the liquor store that ended up being much more relevant to our story. And you'll see why at the very end of the story why I picked this. Oh, what a cliffhanger. But what sits in front of you might seem like an ordinary whiskey sour, but it is in fact made with buckwheat whiskey. Oh. Buckwheat whiskey. I don't know what this is. I feel like such a bad whiskey liker. I know. It's it's a very rare thing. There's very few places in the United States that actually distill it, but I really, really like it. And like I... I am not a whiskey drinker, Amanda, yes. but this one has kind of like a, I don't know, like a more of an earthy sweetness that most whiskeys don't do for me. Yeah, I see how it's like the very funky gins that you enjoy yes. in that way. <laughs> that is true. So please sip that. Enjoy that. I sure will. And then you're going to take a listen to the story of Zhou Shangbi 
because it is a doozy and you're going to want all of that alcohol. I am sitting back in my chair. I have my drink in my hand with the rubber ice cubes that we invested in so that you don't hear my ice clinking. And I'm just here for it. Oh, so good. So most of the story of Zhoshang B, as Ashley points out in her email, the story has a lot of similarities to the butterfly lover's story that Linda told us a while back. Yes. Which you, I remember you loved that episode. I sure did, Julia. It ended with an, a like dramatic scene at a grave. Mm-hmm. And I am here for that. Yes. Uh, Before I get into the whole concept of the butterfly lovers and the similarities between the two, I want to tell some of the other stories, basically all the lead up to the butterfly lovers part of the story. So the first is the story of Zhoshang Bi's birth, as told by Wan Ochoi in the Illustrated Guide in Korean Mythology. It's available on Google, y'all. Go read it. It's really good. Very good. I just like found it. And I was like, oh, they're probably only going to have like a couple of pages that are relevant to me. The whole book is available. I love that so much. Open scholarship. (laughs) So the story begins that there was once a rich couple that had lots of land and servants. But by the time they were in their late 50s, they still had no child. Ah. After seeing a poor man during a walk who was delighted as he played with his child, the man of the couple fell into a depression. He asks, what is the use of money? What is the use of land? How (laughs) deplorable it is to live as the richest but childless. Which, priorities. I get it. Yeah. You know, some people want children, but, you know, that's not for everyone. And money cannot buy you that form of happiness if it's what you're there for. Yes, uh, but he genuinely wanted a child and expressed that to his wife that it would make them happier. So they were soon visited by a monk who told them that if they made an offering of a thousand pounds of white rice and prayed for a hundred days, they would have a child. Okay, okay. There's also this whole thing where if the rice isn't exactly a thousand pounds, they would have a girl. But if it was exactly a thousand pounds, they would have a boy. Accuracy and you're rewarded with a boy. Anything less only a girl the two genders either way they end up having a girl um i don't remember if it's like because they're cheap or they just didn't measure properly or what have you but they end up having a girl okay who according to the story uh she took 10 months to be born and when she really she was really cooking in there yeah and the final like stew i get it yeah and it, it turns out pretty well because when she's born she quote looked as if she had the sun on her forehead a moon on the back of her head and stars on her shoulders Oh, as in like beautiful lighting or I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. It wasn't very specific. I like to just think of it as like she was glowy. gorgeous. Yeah, just gorgeous. Glowy baby. Exactly. You Got wouldn't some... be freaked out if a baby came out of you and it glowed. I mean, I'd probably just assume it was the infant Jesus, but that's me. That's fair. <laughs> so they ended up naming her Zhoshang Bi, which means wants for oneself because she was, quote, born voluntarily. Okay, okay. You like it? Yeah, I'm into it. So as she grew older, she came across a young god named Mun, who was the son of the emperor of heaven and who he had come down to earth to learn from Master Gomu. So Zhoshang Bi offered him some water at a nearby river. That's where they met, like at this riverside. She was like, I want to go like wash my feet. There's a whole thing. It's like, I want my hands to be whiter. And they're like, go wash in this river. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, clearly, uh, human uh, colorism and fixation on lighter skin has had roots for a long time. Yes. Uh, so when he told her that he was planning to train with Master Gomu, Zhaosheng Bi lied to him, telling him that she had a younger brother who looked exactly like her and that her brother was also interested in learning from Master Gomu as well. Yeah, some Mulan shit. Yeah, that's some pretty accurate Mulan shit. She she asked if Mun would like to meet her brother and if he met her 
brother, would he accompany him to Master Gomu so that they could both learn? Sure. So Mun agrees, and then Zhang Bi returns home. She tells her parents she's going off to study, saying her father needed her to be taught so that she may help him in the future because he has no male sons, so sure. she needs to learn. There's a whole thing about, like, she's like, well, you know, when you die, someone needs to write a thing for your funeral. He's like, good point. <laughs> Go learn things. <laughs> it's also very true. to Talk to your family about end-of-life care, please. Estate planning is really important. It really is, truly. So he agrees to let her go study. I love this so much. It's like, Father, if not for my own accord, surely you want a great oratory at your funeral. <laughs> yeah, it's very important. So Zhou Shangbi changes into men's clothes and goes to meet with Mun. Uh, this is where things very much start ending up like the butterfly lovers, uh, because we get a beautiful cross-dressing story in any sort of mythology. We love that. We do. Big fans of that. So they go together to learn from Master Gomu, and they spend two years living together, sharing a room and all that. Dang. Uh, they this then... lasted much longer than Amanda Bynes did mm-hmm. in She's the Man. Yes. I was thinking about that the entire Hardly time. Hardly one semester, Julia. Yeah, no. She barely made it through. So they then proceed to have this beautiful, like, slow burn fanfic trope uh, uh. where she falls hopelessly in love with him. It's implied that Mun is aware that she, quote, has a woman's body. Okay. Uh, Ashley adds here to say that like there are some versions of the story where there's this unresolved tension for like two years and he finally gets confirmation that she loved him because he she calls him an idiot, which is a very anime meet cute sort of thing. Oh, 100%. Ashley. Love that. And this, this is just everything. My whole heart, my heart is exploding. I love this so much. We have slow burn. We have friends to lovers. We have cross-dressing. We have uh, like scholarship and independence. I am such trash for this. I love it so much. Much, Julia. It's very Orin High School host club in a yeah. lot of ways. And that's why I think I like it because I was very formative to just like me and also like my life. Yeah. Ashley, you know us well. Good mm-hmm. choice. Here's how that whole thing goes down where she calls him an idiot and then he realizes that. Because. One day, Mun gets a letter saying that he has to stop studying and return home to the Garden of Heaven because his father has requested that he marries the daughter of another king. Stop studying. Also, come get married. I just, I have Mulaney voice now that you said it in that way. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, Zhou Shangbi, pretty hopelessly in love with him at this point, is like, okay, well, I guess I'm done here too. Gonna leave my studies for a boy. Yeah. Sure. So, they decide to leave together. However, Zhou Shangbi is worried about what her parents will think if she returns home with a boy, even if that boy is the son of the Emperor of Heaven. So, she is like, hey, we're close to my house. We're also like super dirty from traveling. So why don't we just like go make sure we have a bath before we get to my family's house? Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. So Mun agrees. They go to bathe in a stream. Joshang B is in the upper stream and then Mun is in the lower stream. So it's like on a cliffside and the stream is going down. So she waits until Mun is completely naked and then on a willow leaf writes a message to him and floats it down the stream. Stop. And the willow leaf says something to the effect of like, hey, idiot, you lived with me for three years. You shared a bed with me. You didn't realize I was the same girl you met at the same river. Oh, shit. It's so circular. And then she flees. Oh, I mean, (laughs) so relatable. So... Before he has a chance to respond, she goes running back to her family's house. Mun chases after her, and then she feels kind of bad for him and turns back and says, Hey, look, sorry, I've deceived you for so long. Why don't you come meet my parents, rest for the day, and then you can leave for home tomorrow. Very nice of her. And Mun agrees to that. So Zhou Shangbi tries... A very uh, suspicious amount of good communication happening in this story so far. 
there was a lot I of... I mean, okay, so okay. There, there's like, there's a central uh, deception happening, yes. But, you know, you do admit your feelings and you do give good boundaries and you don't like run away and then six months later the fanfic picks up because like you've been seen again with your ex and then like Draco can't get over how much feelings he still has for Harry and it's like, no, Harry, you're mine. And they kiss and the fanfic's over. <gasps> Are you okay? <sighs> just, I just have just have a lot of feelings. Okay. You sure? Do you want to express them a little bit? Are you okay? No, no, I'm I'm ready. Okay. Joshang B tries to break the news to her parents lightly and is like, hey, fam, so I brought home one of my fellow students with me. Uh, his feet hurt from traveling all day. Is it cool if he stays here tonight and leaves tomorrow? Uh, she basically gets interrogated. Her dad is like, okay, is this a boy or a girl? And she's like, it's it's a boy. And he's like, is he younger than 15 or is he older than 15? Oh, no. And she's like, uh why and he's like well if he's younger than 15 he can stay in your room but if he's older than 15 then he has to stay in my room and i was like okay that's like you know when you go to your grandparents house and they make you sleep in separate beds even though you're married already grandma yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh so she tells him that uh mon is younger than 15 which i'm pretty sure is a lie it didn't specify whether or not it was but i'm pretty sure that's the case yeah uh, and the father agrees to let him stay in her room. She then hides him behind a folding screen during dinner and manages to keep him hidden for most of the night oh. so that her parents don't know that he's older than 15. We love a folding screen device. Oh, so good. So good. Much better than the Aris in Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And reminds me a lot of Yuri on Ice. Yeah. Good point. Thank you. All right. So she spends the evening after everyone goes to bed weaving like super late into the night because that's her like specialty. That's the thing that she enjoys doing. Cute. She weaves so late into the night that Mun comes to check on her and she's worried that her parents are going to see him. So she escorts him back to her room and they spend the night together, quote, revealing their love that had been concealed for three years. Oh, shit. That's so cute. So cute. And then the, the story that I was reading was like, how much time passed? Who knew the birds were crying out for morning? I was like, oh, my God, I can't. It's too cute. Also, like, I get it. Like, that's that's a feeling. Oh, yeah, no, it's very, very sweet. So in the morning, Mun returns to the Garden of Heaven and tells her that he will try to return soon. But the Emperor of Heaven did not want Mun returning, and so he tells him he must spend at least half the year in the Garden of Heaven, uh, and he's unable to tell Zhoushang Bi about this. So this is where Ashley points out this is very, like, Persephone and Hades moment, yeah. uh, which I really appreciate. Like. You know me, I'm a sucker for Persephone. She's my gal. I know. It's episode one for a reason. Yeah. Uh, the story does go a little bit off the rails after this, kind of into like a Psyche Eros situation, too. Mm. Uh, but before we get to that, let us grab a refill of those buckwheat whiskey sours. I could drink these all day. Awesome. Listeners, as we approach the end of the year, I am very grateful that one of our continuing sponsors is HoneyBook, not just because it's a service that I legitimately use for Multitude and I think is extremely helpful, but also because they understand how running a small business is really hard. And so they commit to like a full year sponsorship, which I think is incredibly dope. Because when you are doing all of your own like client booking, billing, contracts, invoices, there is so much to keep track of. And HoneyBook was designed for other small business owners so that you you can do all of your business management online in one dashboard. Whether you have a small business, you're an entrepreneur, you're a freelancer, you can incorporate HoneyBook with the services you depend on, like Google Suite, Excel, MailChimp, QuickBooks, all the stuff that we use here at Multitude. 
HoneyBook lets you automate your busy work. They let you sign documents with e-signatures, which is such a big part of my day, is signing PDFs, and just generally simplify your to-do list and stay in control. And right now they're offering our listeners 50% off when you visit HoneyBook.com spirits. That applies to both monthly and annual plans, which is dope, at HoneyBook.com spirits for 50% off your first year. Yep, that's HoneyBook.com spirits. Thanks, HoneyBook. Thanks. Amanda, I would kill for more energy and better sleep and just like something to like help me support my health and fitness routine. And that is why I'm always grateful for when we have Care Of sponsoring us. Because Care Of is there to get you the right vitamins, supplements, and protein powders for your specific needs. And they send it right to your door, which I absolutely love. So all you have to do is take their short, fun, five-minute quiz. You answer some easy questions about your diet, your lifestyle, your health needs, and then you get information back about, you know, the vitamins, supplements, protein powders that they think would work best for you. So you tell them, hey, I want to be sleeping better, or hey, I just need a little bit more energy in the morning. And they're like, oh, listen, we got you. And here's the science why this is going to help you. Anyway, I just love how easy and just upfront it is about what's going to work best for me. And then once you deselect the ones that they recommended to you, they ship it right to your door. So they send out these convenient daily packs that are perfect for busy on the go lifestyles. I always like take a pack if we're traveling. I know how many days I needed the packs for. It's perfect. And I hear that our listeners can even get 50% off their first care of order by going to takecareof.com and entering the code SPIRITS50. Yeah. All they have to do is go to takecareof.com and enter the promo code SPIRITS50 to get 50% off their first care of order. Thanks, care of. Amanda, sometimes I just don't have time to make food. You know, sometimes I'm traveling to the office, I'm coming back, I got wrestling class, and there's very, like, little time in between. And I don't want to spend half an hour to an hour making a meal that I know is going to, you know, fill me up. And also, you know, I'll have no time to digest it later. So I absolutely love ordering on those busy days from DoorDash. Absolutely. I generally order my DoorDash when I am at work much later than I intended and I packed my lunch but did not plan on staying as late as I am uh, for dinner. So it's really great that DoorDash can let us connect to like those brand names where like I would love to run to Chipotle but it is so far away that I could not do it and still make my like 7 p.m. call or all of the other local restaurants that we love to patron here in Greenpoint, Brooklyn where Multitude is. Yeah. And the best part is there's over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities. So that includes Canada, all the states in the U.S., you know wherever you are, you can get some DoorDash. Yeah, every city, it seems, has a different like delivery service that they prefer. But knowing that DoorDash is present in almost anywhere I'm going to visit is is really helpful. And if you haven't tried it yet, you can get $5 off your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code SPIRITS. Yep, that's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code SPIRITS. One more time for the folks in the back, that's a promo code SPIRITS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Thanks, DoorDash. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And now let's get back to the show. 
Okay, uh, getting back into things. So there is this whole interlude where a servant who is being lazy claims that he has seen Mun in the Garden of Heaven. Joshang Bi decides that she's going to go to the Garden of Heaven to get him back because they're like, they promised to like marry each other and yeah. stuff like that. But I'd be worried yeah. too. Ashley actually points out that she disguises herself as a man again because, you know, she super likes the aesthetic at this point, I imagine. And then she takes that servant on the journey with her. And there's ghosts and wizards and stuff. Uh, the problem is the servant has the hots for her uh, and unfortunately tries to rape her in the story, which, yeah, no. And then she kills him. Okay, that yeah. seems like a fairly appropriate retaliation. Yes, correct, because she doesn't fuck around. Yeah. So her parents are pissed about that, that she killed one of their servants to like kind of be like, hey, sorry about that. Sorry, I don't want you to lose a servant. Uh, she raises him from the dead, oh. which is equally badass. How? Learned a lot of cool things at Master Gomu's. Wow. Yeah. That is like, that is movie uh, exposition training montage levels of like superpowers. Yes. Uh, and then that just makes her parents more upset. Yeah. Because you're the raising best. people from the dead. No, not not the best. But if you're in a situation where you're like training with people with powers and this is very normal, I, I get how your sense of what might or might not like upset civilians could get a little twisted. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, they're extremely upset. They end up disowning her and kicking her out of their house. That means. So after she's kicked out, she is adopted by a woman named Lady Jumo, who she meets on the countryside and is a weaver as well. Like I said, Joshang nice. B loves to weave. So Joshang B actually impresses her with her skills in weaving. And Lady Jomu asks her to assist on a project that she's weaving silk for. And it's for a wedding, which Lady Jomu then reveals is for Mun's wedding. No, I knew it. Ah, fuck. <laughs> So when Lady Jomu brings the silk to be inspected by Mun before the wedding, she reveals that it was Joshang Bi's weaving and Mun insists on seeing her. Oh, good. I mean, I don't want him to be at the altar and look at the thing and be like, ah, fuck, I know that weaving. So Mun comes to Lady Jomu's house the next day, but Joshang Bi isn't like happy to see him. Because I guess, you know, he was gone for so long and never told her what the deal was. Yeah. So she pricks his finger through the door and then Mun leaves because his blood has now made the house unclean. And he's oh. also like, oh, I'm in the mortal world and everything's dirty. I'm going back to the Garden of Heaven. So why did she prick his finger? Just because she was like pissed? Yeah. Oh, fair. Um, Lady Jomu is also frustrated by Zhoshang Bi's behavior uh, and kicks her out of the house as well. She's just like, <laughs> I held you houses. out, I adopted you, I brought you into my project, and this is the thanks I get. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, Zhoshang Bi is remorseful for her actions. And so she becomes a Bugini, which is a, a woman monk, basically. Ooh. Uh, and so she does that in the hopes that she'll be forgiven for her sins and she'll be able to join up again with Mun. I think that's uh, overkill. I think that she did most most logically what was available to her in a given situation. Yeah. I understand how she, you know, got a lot out of this training and would want to sort of dedicate herself to it as a way to sort of recenter herself and like repent and things. Mm -hmm. But girl, you're okay. It's very like get thee to a nunnery in Shakespeare. Yeah. 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 A bit. A little bit. So she's living that life, shaved her head, it's all good. Uh, as a monk, she meets some of the maidservants of the King of Heaven who are crying. 
She just like stumbles across them as she's traveling. Uh, When she asks them why they're crying, they tell her that they're looking for the stream in which Mun had bathed with Zhoshang Bi way back when because he wanted to drink from it, but they're unable to find it. And Zhoshang Bi is like, hey, yo, that's me. I can get that water for you if you want. But the problem is I want you to take me back to the Garden of Heaven with you. Yeah. And they're like, yes, of course, whatever you want. You seem (laughs) great. Anything. I mean, I'm sure you have been given um, things that work, tasks that were as vague as that is. And you're just like... God damn it. Like, give me give me a, a sign here. Give me any kind of help. Yeah. So uh, she gets the water for them. They take her back up to the Garden of Heaven. Cool. So they bring her back up with them and they leave her at Mun's house up in the Garden of Heaven. Uh-oh. Uh, she waits around because he's not home. Uh, she's exploring and she's singing to herself and then Mun discovers her there. So much like she had hidden him in her home, Mun hides her away in his room behind a folding screen again Aww. and they reconnect and catch up with each other's lives. What a sweetly structured story. Yes, no, it's very cute. It's got all the beats. All the beats and I see too if this was ever like performed or read out or, or recounted to each other uh, via, you know, voice, how having that circular um you know motif come back again is even more impactful i think when it's spoken out loud than when it's read um and it's just i'm getting a little like little goosebumps here yeah oh god i love it uh and we'll talk a little bit more about the like tradition of telling the story when we get to the most buck wild part of the story <laughs> oh not even okay. oh, oh, it's no. not, we're not even at the buck wild Julia, part yet. i got my flu shot today my system is compromised <laughs> oh boy oh boy okay uh so they're catching up you know, just telling each other how much they love them. The two of them decide to get married in secret. But when Mun reveals to his parents that he's not going to be marrying his betrothed, his father calls for a 50-foot deep pit to be dug and then filled with burning charcoal and then swords with a sharp blade to be hung over the pit. Oh. So here's where the version of the story that I read and Ashley's version that she sent us differ slightly. So in Ashley's story, the brides are forced to compete they're like forced into this competition where they're forced to walk across this bridge of swords over the pit of fire. <gasps> so this is the quote from Ashley. She goes, imagine a bridge made out of knives that are all arranged so that the handles are touching the ground and the blades are pointed up. And these two women have to walk across that fine blade edge. <sighs> Ashley continues, what I find personally really interesting about this is when I was growing up, my mother would tell me stories of Korean shamans called Mudang, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, because she grew up in a village where it was still an intersection of shamanism, Confucianism, and Christianity. And one of the things that the Mudang were renowned for was a knife dancing ritual. Basically, everyone would gather in the village square and the Mudang would perform this important ritual and they would have these knives positioned on the ground, just like the Zhoshang Bimith play music and dance on top of the knife blades barefoot wow. and afterwards show the bottoms of their feet to the crowd so everyone can see that they weren't bleeding or cut. That's awesome. I'm not sure if the Mudang adopted this knife dancing ritual because of Zhoshang Bi or in honor of her, but I thought the parallel was really interesting. Yeah, like a minimum, this is a thing that's present in culture history such that it shows up in both places. Yeah. Anyway, because Zhoshang Bi is a badass, she completes the challenge while the other bride refuses and instead starves herself to death, which is not great, but is meant, I think, to show the very strong sense of will Zhoshang Bi has, which is her most defining characteristic. Wow, that's a really astute analysis, and it's a badass idea, and it's like MTV's The Challenge meets like The Bachelorette, which I really enjoy. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like that combo quite a bit. Yes, thank I'm you. I'm saying the bachelorette and not the bachelor because mm-hmm. they're not really competing for the affection of the man. It's mm-hmm. like as if as if the the bachelorette casting people decided like, okay, well, we like these two. One of you can be the bachelorette. Episode but... zero is whoever's feet are more functional at the end of this ritual gets to be the bachelorette. Yeah. So thank you, Ashley, for that analysis. Yeah. It's really, really great. So in the version of the story that I read, it's just Joshangbi. So she manages to do the thing, but she cuts her foot like as she's crossing I mean, the thing. It's knives. So she wipes the cut on her underskirt, dirtying it, which apparently, according to this version of the story, is why people get their period once a month. Oh. Which, you know what? If this is the reason why people <laughs> get their period once a month, uh, instead of like some of the weird, shamey versions of other religions. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I just walked across a bridge of knives. Yes. Okay. That's a way better version, in my opinion. <laughs> like, no. But also, Yeah. Anyway, that's fucking wild. But the parents welcome her into their family. Uh, Mun is sent to tell the other woman that she's no longer going to be married to him. And she lays down and turns into a bird after 100 days. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just also stuck on the idea that um, that people who menstruate are just walking across bridges of knives each month. <laughs> and I, I love the idea that it's cyclical. It's, it's just very good. Extremely good energy. I mean, it. I do feel that roughly once a month, I, I have completed just by like living in the year of uh, our Lord 2019, that I have walked across a bridge of knives. So yes. I'll, I'll take it. Hard agree. Okay. Anyway, so, let's return to the bird thing. Yeah. So she turns into a bird. Just in grief? Uh, Yeah. So and then the bird transforms into four birds. Oh. Which become four things that if they get between a couple it forces them to break up okay um, i see it this is also a very strange twist on bird husband <laughs> one of them is complaining and <laughs> oh, the other no. one is having bad breath which is odd i mean good breath good marriage that's something sure okay oh. that's fair there's like two other ones but i was like i don't like those these were the ones that stood out to me so there is still another version of the story where the like bride-to-be becomes a hungry ghost, which we've talked about yes. in past stories as well. Uh, and later, why wedding traditions say that you have to give an offering in memory of her in order to bless the union. Cool. So it's like, hey, sorry it didn't work out for your thing. Just leave it for the other bride. Like, leave something nice for the other bride so she's not super pissed. And you guys can enjoy yourselves. Makes sense. And the weird birds don't come between <laughs> your marriage. <laughs> So uh, the couple finally gets married and they're happy. This is this is she unbirds. No, no, no. Uh, Joshang B and Mun get married. Oh, the sad bride. The sad the bride. One, oh, okay. I was like, that's a very sad ending for Joshang B. No, no, no. Sad bride turns into. I birds. see. Joshang B and Mun super happy. Okay, good. Uh, so the father, the emperor of heaven, gives her as a wedding gift five important grains that she can take back to the mortal realm. Oh, damn. So it's barley, rice beans, millet, and foxtail millet. You know what? Frankly, I'd be extremely happy with grains as a wedding present. Yeah. David Reinstrom, I'm sorry I did not give you grains. It wasn't on your registry, but I should have just thought ahead. <laughs> Maybe for an anniversary present. Perhaps. Love you, bud. Yes. We'll just send him like some nice heirloom beans. Yeah. Perhaps. Yes. David fucks with beans, and I think Jillian would like them too. Yeah. Ashley points out that these are fundamental crops in Korean agriculture and cuisine. Like these are the basis for most of their cuisine. And I, I like the idea that 
rather than treating humankind as a nuisance or as like an underclass, the idea here from the emperor of heaven is like, I want my son to understand this. I want him to train with a, a person in the mortal realm who's really great. And even though I might not have chosen that my son marry a mortal, we don't, I don't know what his feelings were. Um, he does want to kind of give back, make their life easier and give them something that isn't, you know, a, uh, a, a crystal dish you use once every five years, but is something that gives back to uh, where she came from. Oh, I love I love that that's what you're catching up on. So Jashongbi is doing great, but she asks the Emperor of Heaven for one more grain that can grow in harsh conditions because life is rough in the mortal realm and she wanted something that would be able to survive no matter what. Sure. So he finally gives her buckwheat. Oh. Which becomes extremely important in terms of crops and cooking. Ashley also adds, quote, this kind of compassion, the humility, and the instinct to serve others before yourself is a highly valued and taught personality trait in Korean culture. And so many Korean myths feature this kind of humility, with the heroes being rewarded for displaying it, and people are punished for being self-serving. Amazing. I love that. So she asks for one more gift, but it's to help the rest of humanity and not just herself. Beautiful. So because of this story, Meng and Joshangbi become the god and goddess of agriculture, as well as the goddess of earth, farming, and love. Oh, I actually have an awe in my notes there. <laughs> Thank you. So Amanda, I want to hear your thoughts on the story. What really stood out to you? What were the most impactful parts of the story for you? Yeah, I, I'm so glad that Ashley kind of touched upon that idea of... Um, looking out for something bigger than yourself. And it sounds like Jean B was very kind of connected to her community and her obligations, even as she was seeking something better for herself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she wanted to go and study and learn and see the world, but she also realized that she had some filial duty. And so she kind of pointed that out to her dad and mm -hmm. she knows um, and is like aware of all those contexts. It feels like so often in stories we're asked to choose between fulfilling yourself and growing um, and serving community. And in a lot of the stories that like I grew up with and stories that we're presented with in the media now, it's sort of like either you can, you know, stick to where you came from or you can grow. And for almost everyone's life, that is very much not a real choice mm -hmm. like these things are enmeshed and by going for one thing you might have to give something up or you can find new ways of you know learning growing doing things that you want to do but also taking care of of your obligations and what you have to take care of like it's not a bad thing at all to take care of others it doesn't stop you from growing and so in her case i love that she you know returned to the family i love that she is asking for you know grains on behalf of humanity that she wasn't like pissed when she saw these maids but like saw it as an opportunity she's really into helping others and if it's a benefit for herself like that's great as well so i love that she's not completely self-serving but she's also not completely selfless because that sucks and that often gets women killed in folklore yeah no i think that brings up a really good point because she's a kind of character that has a lot of balance in that she is the kind of character that is going to take the bull by the horns. So she is the one who stumbles across Mon and is like, I am going to go to school and I'm going to learn things. You are though, my ticket. Yeah. Even though women in this time and place don't typically get to study. And when Mon is up in the Garden of Heaven, she says, okay, well, I'm going to figure out what the situation is. I'm yeah. going to find a way up there. And even though she doesn't succeed, and like there's a lot of things standing in front of her, all she does is she's like, I'm taking this servant and I'm going and I'm going to get the job done. Yeah. And it's not, it's not ever for like self-serving purposes. It's always about like, how can I 
become a better person, but also how can I make the lives of people around me better? Yeah. And self-improvement is a selfless act sometimes. Yeah. You know, working on yourself, it's that whole like oxygen mask theory, right? And that you sometimes have to put on your own oxygen mask or you do on planes, actually, if you're ever in that situation. Mm-hmm. You have to put it on yourself before assisting others because if you pass out, you're not helpful to anybody around you. That's true. Um, so that's not to say that like your contribution to other people is the only way to measure worth. But I think that for for some people, it's hard for us to justify doing anything for ourselves if we can't find like a direct benefit for other people. Mm-hmm. And that's something that like I have certainly tried to work through in, in therapy and in my life. Um, and seeing someone who so clearly seems and effortlessly is like balancing those two obligations um, is, is amazing. And like she improved the lives of like uh, all of humanity, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the journey of pursuing something that she knew was right for her, even though it like defied convention at every single turn from, you know, going to this training academy dressed as a boy to marrying someone who is a celestial to, you know, finding a a wedding present that is not just something she can use but something that everybody else can. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think one of the parts of the story that really stand out to me, as you said before, when we look at a lot of mythology, strong-willed women tend to get punished for being strong-willed. Yeah. And or he gets engaged with somebody else and then she dies. Yeah. And like, that's not what happened. No. She's like, I'm going to become a scholar. That's a great reaction to yes. someone you love marrying somebody else. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. She's strong-willed and she's able to like do the things that need to get done, but she doesn't suffer for it. And even though she goes through all of these trials and tribulations, she gets the guy at the end. She gets like the life that she wanted and also brings about happiness for other people and like sustainability and like plentifulness for other people and that it's just so rare to see that mythology and it made me so happy to actually see the end of the story be happy and it wasn't one of those things where uh, a a woman suffers and then because she suffered she gets made into a god right in death or whatever yeah like martyrdom i get it but also there should be other choices and this is a really good example also love all the fanfic tropes Mm -hmm. i just i'm here for it and i love that humanity is like this is a compelling thing to happen in a story even now this is the reason why I think it stood out to me in particular as a really, really beautiful parallel to the Psyche and Eros story. Because, for one, the Psyche almost stabbing uh, Eros and burning him with the candle wax is basically her pricking the thumb of mm-hmm. Mun. Uh, and then she has to go through all of these trials and tribulations in order to get him back, even though this time there's no vengeful mother trying to be like, prove to me that you're worthy of my son as your husband. But instead, it's just... She, She's just so strong-willed and so passionate and so forceful and isn't punished for it at all. And it's really, really, really nice. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Oh, gosh, there's so many things to love. And like a lot of just good communication in this story. Yes. Like I know that you balked a little bit earlier because there was, you know, the whole fundamental deception. Mm-hmm. But it, it was necessary. She talked about it. She owned up to it. It was extremely sweet. I want to float my love a leaf down a, a river with a question on it. Um, it it's extremely adorable. And... I I don't know. I just I feel like we don't get a lot of good examples if you don't grow up seeing them of like communication, forgiveness, you know, evolving um, among romantic partners. Mm. And if you don't see that, there's not a ton of examples of like the quotidian realities of like communication in partnership in daily life. Mm. So you sort of have to figure it out for yourself. Um, But I love that it's here. I love that one of the takeaways can be, you know, be honest with your partner. You guys are going to change over time. You know, maybe there's times where you feel more distant or more together. And at the end of the day, you know, as long as you can be honest with one another and always feel comfortable bringing up a question, then you're going to figure out the right answer for you. Yeah, that's a great point. All of their 
greatest moments of happiness are just when they have a moment to talk to each other yeah. and, you know, chat the night away and tell each other how much they love each other. Adorable. And that is very sweet and something that I think we can all apply better to our lives and our relationships. And even if they aren't romantic relationships, friendships do. Absolutely. And like she got a buzz cut. She got a buzz cut. God damn. She still looked good. Amazing. She pulled that Natalie Portman look off. I know. Gosh. Well, for anybody who grew up with this myth and has particular versions or personal anecdotes that you want to share, we would love to hear them. Thank you, Ashley, for sending this in. Oh, my goodness. Yes, Ashley, you are wonderful. I really appreciate all the work and analysis you put into your email. It meant a lot to me. And listeners, remember, stay creepy, stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors. At honeybook.com slash spirits, you can get 50% off your first year of small business management services. At takecareof.com slash spirits50, you can get 50% off your first order. And in the DoorDash app, you can enter promo code spirits for $5 off your first order of $15 or more. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. <laughs>